0: Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clear Path Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, We're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon there'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned and thanks for joining. Worship team a hand. Great to have Zane and Tiffany back. I am uh, I am thankful to be here today. I love what the Lord is doing, and um, I want to tell you. Let me grab this real quick. There's a, there's a number of people who who I know are new here, and so. I want to remind you of something. We have these things called the Clear Path Abide Journals. And these, these Abide Journals, they have a sort of pattern of prayer that we call, or that historically has been called a daily office, and that we've written as a help for those who want to seek the Lord. You want to pray. You want to cultivate an inner life with Him. Um I would say over the last number of months, it's been the number one thing we've emphasized is cultivating an inner life of seeking the Lord. And there's so much over and over again in Scripture that the inner life, our life of seeking Him, of dwelling in His presence is the place where, where we draw any sort of source of power in life to be able to, to minister effectively or to live well externally um, but that but, but at the end of the day, the reason that we do this is to seek him and so so but there's a tension to that um, hi, historically and both biblically, when people would seek the Lord personally and privately, they always did so privately and in community, right? And so Jesus didn't call you know Peter, he also called James and John and all these other people and and they're seeking. Became a personal one, but it also became a communal one. And I think it's probably been over, overemphasized over the last number of decades, uh, the personal side. Um, I, but we believe in the personal side, but we also believe in the communal side. And so the, so the way that, that this helps us with that is that is this gives us a daily scriptures that are from the Book of Common Prayer. We didn't reinvent the wheel. We don't think there's any extra brownie points for reading the Book of Common Prayer. It's just a rhythm that's been done for hundreds of years that um, will take you through the Bible in three years. Most people don't live a life conducive to being able to reflectively read through the Bible in a year. That's just my opinion. You know, I, and sometimes you know, I've felt called to do that. Um, but I, I do this, and at times I study other portions of Scripture as well. But for me, it reads at a pace that I can reflectively read. It helps us to pray together as a community. I want to make you aware that it's here and that if you want one, um, we're giving them away to, to, to people who are new here, people who have been here. We ask you, it costs us $20 to make them. We ask you to give the 20 bucks. If you can't give the 20 bucks, you can have one anyway. But, but we ask for it if it's possible for you to give. And so, um, yes, this is very meaningful. And it's a part of our rhythm. It's part of, like, you find it in, in house church at times. You will find it in my sermons. Um, and so I just want to make mention of that. And another element of rhythm is that we are in the time of Lent. So there's two times a year where I don't pick the scriptures. I mean, the Lord could make it really, really clear to me to go a different direction. But I don't pick the scriptures that I preach from. Um, I, I read from the lectionary, the Revised Common Lectionary, which is which is also part of the Anglican body, and and so that's Advent and Lent, and what that allows us to do is is during these seasons of the year it allows us rhythms to be able to remind and retell the most fundamental story and stories of our faith, which is the life of Jesus, Amen, and. So I love Hebrews 12 it says I mentioned this last week that we look to Jesus the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith and I've always I always imagine that as my little in my little charismatic mind growing up is like looking to him in prayer but I also think that the looking is to look upon the testimony of Jesus which Revelation says is the spirit of prophecy. And so, so we look on the, uh, upon the whole testimony of Jesus as we lead up to this death and resurrection that we celebrate and remember on Easter. But we also look at the specific testimonies, the specific stories that are key that leads us on that journey. So the Lent is a Lenten journey towards Easter. And so we, re- we reflect on Jesus because it's a journey. Um, Kids, I have a question for you. I have a, an Easter egg question for you. Um, I try to give one, you know, anytime we have family service. Um, and I will tell you that you won't, I won't answer this question directly. So you have to kind of look for it. And if you, I I give Miss Alana per- permission to give you extra special reward this week, if you get this answer right. Um, but I'm going to... <laughs> <laughs> We'll figure it out. It'll be an IOU, a reward. But um, here's my question for you: that you can you can see if you find the answer to it. it. Says the question is: How do we see the way God wants us to see? That's the question. So if you can give a good answer, Ms. Land on that, then award it will be a reward. Award, reward. Yes, that's the right word. Um, anyway, how many of you are happy to be here this morning? I want to show you this gift that Andrea gave me. It's a really weird gift, right? This is the only birthday gift she gave me. I'm sad. No, I'm kidding. I I was actually, this is like my favorite gift that she's ever given me. I'll tell you why. Um, In the last number of years, Andrea and I have been praying. um, there's, There's many things that we're praying for. How many of you have like a list of things you pray for? One of the things that we always are praying for is, for for God to just lead us more perfectly in his will. And we have had this dream thought that we think might be from the Lord that over the years that that either applies to this body and I think it's both, either applies to this body or to us as a family that we've we've prayed believe that God would give us some land preferably a land where you could farm it. That would be somewhere in this in the city. And um, and our hope with that was that we would be able to um, to use that the way that God intended and also to be able to minister to people, to be able to make it a place of, of rest, equipping, releasing of people. And I don't want to get into specifics of how all to do that. I just want I just want you to get this idea that that this this has been something that we've carried in prayer for a number of years. And um, I don't know how long, maybe maybe five, four, five, six years, that we've carried this in prayer. And so this last year, the Lord has been doing a lot of things in our life to kind of restir us and reawaken our pursuit of Him and, and just breathe hope into our lives. And one of them uh, one of the little stories that I found this last year, I've been reading different stories of different people who have done amazing things. How many, raise your hand if you've been reading any of the Heidi Baker book. There's a few. Like if you, if you aren't, we're not officially reading it, but I've mentioned it a couple of times, and so people have been telling me, um, There's Always Enough by Heidi Baker. or always There's Always Enough. Yes, read it with us. We don't have an official reading, but there's a number of people reading it. Um, this's been a super encouraging story one of the other encouraging stories that the Lord really moved in my heart this last year on was a story a story of Lauren Cunningham look you guys are here this morning what in the world okay that's that's funny um, to connect the dots that they've worked with ywam for okay long time and Lauren Cunningham is the founder of a movement called YWAM, which has sent probably hundreds of thousands of, of, of missionaries into the nations. Five million. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I was way short. Um, just a staggering scope of ministry. That's a, and, and just every year, thousands of kids come. I guess that would make sense, Like now that I think about how many they do every year. Um, they have bases all throughout the world. They have people in like 180 countries. And at the very, very beginning, Lauren was in this place uh, in Switzerland and still very early in the ministry and praying about how God would uh, use them. And the Lord, had, they felt like the Lord told them that he, they were supposed to get a farm. Similar, similar story. And so they're praying about this this farm And I, he, he, he asked the Lord for some confirmation and he kind of just opened his Bible to James and James says, faith without works is dead. And so he felt like the Lord said, this is going to require some action upon your part, upon your part. And so he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he felt impressed. He went to this auction where they sell farms and farming stuff and he bought a milk can some baling wire, and a hay wagon. This is a tiny milk can. And, And so he felt like that was a step of faith. Buy a milk can and see what God does. And so after he came back with that, he came back to this group of people who've kind of gathered around already to start the ministry and they're praying. And one of the young girls says, well, what does that look like for me? I'm a part of YWAM. How, do, how does God want me to act, engage my faith? And so she, so she went away that he said, go pray. And so she spent a few days in prayer and she felt very certain in faith that God wanted to give a farm. And so they, she shared this with her parents and said, "I just we, we, we're believing, and we believe God's going to give us a farm. And her parents were like, okay, very interesting, as any parent would, would feel. And the next day, her father was meeting in somewhere with somebody. He met somebody who said that he had this farm that the Lord told him to give to a mission. And did he know of a mission that needed a farm? And, and he said with enthusiasm, like YWAM is praying for a farm. And so by the end of that, like a week, like after they bought a milk can, they had an entire working farm that people would come and be equipped, like thousands of people would be equipped there and sent to the nations to preach the gospel. But it started with a milk can. I mean that's like an incredible testimony. I feel like the the, uh, the there should be a, the. I mean that testimony is shocking to me. I I don't know. It felt like it was like not that shocking to everyone else. When I heard it, I was like, "Holy cow!" This guy bought a bought a hay wagon and a and a milk can in two days at a farm. Like that's that's pretty wild. And so Andrew and I started praying this last year. We said, "Okay, God, what do you want to do? Like, do you want us?" To um, do you want us to have a space here in the city where we're caring for people? Do you want us to sell our home as an act of faith to do that? What do you want to do? And so I'm just telling you, how many of you have ever been a all chips on the table with God situation? And we haven't felt like the Lord. We didn't. We haven't necessarily felt like you know we're going to go buy three acres of land in East Dallas and sell our home, but. But we kind of have felt that the Lord was calling us to put everything on the table because we believe that He wants to do something special in this city for the nation so that people would know Jesus. I mean, believe Jesus wants to do something special. And so, so Andrea can you know, Friday, she was like, I have a small gift for you. And she said, it's a, it's a milk can because I want you to know That whatever God asks us to do, I'm with you on it. And that just was like lightning bolt of faith through my chest. Right? And I want to share this with you guys. Like almost the same. How many of you want to believe whatever God wants you to do? Like I want to be there. I want to release the same faith that Andrea released in me. That this morning, if you're, if, you're, if you're thinking maybe, I don't know if I'm at that place, but I'd like to be at this place. Like, I'm telling you, I will go milk can with you. Like, I am here to believe and to put myself, not in perfection, I'm not a perfect follower, but I want to daily put myself to the space of being available for God to do whatever He wants to do. And so I, I want to encourage you this morning, that God wants to, He wants to release faith that's faith like buying a milk can or a hay wagon ahead of having a farm. And I don't know, before I want to keep preaching, I I want to stand. If you want an increase, if you feel like you want an increase of faith of God helping you to lay it all on the line, like I just wanna I wanna pray faith for one moment. Stand if you want impartation of faith. I don't feel like everybody has to stand, you can stand. But Lord, I just pray right now that you will release faith in this room, that you would release greater faith, God, that you would release greater faith, that you would help us to to dream but not make dreams our aim. You would help us to pray and to stay awake and alert to what you're doing. That we would be willing to act and to move wherever you're going. I pray faith release today right now. So just receive it right now. I pray faith release right now. And I pray that people would be aware that there are other people in this place walking a journey of faith with them. I pray that there would be You you, there's a scripture in Romans that says we outdo each other with honor. I pray that there would just be such a spirit of faith in this room that every time something happens, somebody steps out that it will release greater faith and greater faith and greater faith. And so Jesus name, give it right now. Amen. All right. You can sit down. I'm going to keep preaching. Um, Okay, How many of you believe then that there is a way of seeing that is different when we become immersed in a spirit life that Jesus has called us to. You can amen that. There's a different way of seeing. I want to read to you from John 3, which is our lectionary text. And it says, Now there is a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Watch this opening part because it sets it sets up some of the key elements of Nicodemus' life and where this story finds context. There's a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Because the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things very truly. I tell you what we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will I speak to you of heavenly things? no one who has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. I'm just going to say amen to that. Um, So I want to ask this question. We'll unpack the Scripture for a little bit, and then we will um, come to the table. Why is Nicodemus coming to Jesus? Why is Nicodemus coming to Jesus? That is the question I want to start when looking at the Scripture. So, First, before we go into the scripture, we got to look at the previous chapter. So in John chapter 2, there's a sequence of two events. The John chapter Stu John chapter Stu. John chapter John chapter 2 starts <laughs> lost myself there with the wedding at Cana, which is sort of like his preemptive party of being kind of on the scene and He is there. They run out of wine. His mother says, you know, help them out. Jesus says, it's not yet my time. He goes ahead and turns the water into wine, and people are amazed. But Cana of Galilee is like, it's like going to it's like going to Sulphur Springs to get noticed. It's not like the main city. And so so in this sequence of John chapter 2, John, Jesus goes to Jerusalem during Passover. Now, going to Jerusalem during Passover is like the height of the place that you would want to see something happen. And so um, Jesus does a number of things that we'll discuss, but the chapter ends, I want you to see this, he, he does all these miracles in in John chapter 2 he he like you know performs all these signs but i want you to see how John chapter 2 ends it says now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name i think one of the things that we underestimate in the scriptures that there are many moments where it seems that many people actually believed that Jesus was something potentially divine and but Jesus would not entrust himself to him, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So, after this moment in Jerusalem, many people knew who Jesus was, but Jesus is still careful. Like, he is still being careful. But I want to look at briefly what takes place before he does all the signs in John chapter 2. And this will just give us context. John chapter 2, 13 through 22 says, Then it was almost time for Jewish Passover. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of the cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Other scriptures say, den of thieves. His disciples remembered that it is written, the zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Okay. So let's pause right here. Jesus, in this moment, so get the picture. He comes from Sulphur Springs to Dallas. And I don't know what the height of coming to Dallas is. Like, you know, I don't know. Anyway, he, he do what? Union Tower. That's right, Union Tower. He's, he stands on top of the giant ball. No, he, he comes, he comes during this really incredible time. And he does something that is extremely challenging in a very public place. And so I want you to see that when it says at the end of this chapter that many people were seeing him and believing upon him, it was after he had challenged and done this incredibly provocative statement that challenges the religious leader leaders of the time. And so, okay, let's go back to Nicodemus at night. But let me say, let me before I do that, let me say this. Firstly, the First thing that he challenges when he comes into the court is he challenges the way that they were selling items that were meant to be used for worship. And the second thing is that he says, essentially, destroy this temple in three days and raise it. This is a, I'll raise it. This is a much, much more provocative statement. He's essentially challenging the authority and the means of the worship of the religious leading council at the time. Does that make sense? And everybody at the end of this moment is like, look at this guy, Jesus. We believe in him. And the next verse is Nicodemus. So back to Nicodemus. He's coming to him at night. And I want to look at why Nicodemus might be coming. But let's first start personally about Nicodemus. Here's what we know about Nicodemus' life is that Nicodemus is going to in John 7 defend Jesus in a few chapters. There's going to be people that are going to try to remove Jesus. And Nicodemus says, Are we to test? Are we going to def- like to condemn somebody before they have a trial? And then at the end of Jesus' life, Nicodemus comes with Joseph of Arimathea to carry his body away. And so it's fairly obvious to me that Nicodemus coming to Jesus is a man curious about what Jesus is saying and also probably a bit afraid, which is why he comes at night. I, how many of you love bold faith? I, we all love bold faith. But it's amazing to me that Jesus is also willing to accommodate the seeker coming at night. When Nicodemus' story is told in The Chosen, I wept like a four-year-old. Like I was just so, so moved by the story. And because Jesus is always willing to receive and listen to those, however they come, right where they are. He's always willing to receive us right where we are. In fear, in sin, in hurt, in bitterness, coming at night, I'm here for you. And so what does Nicodemus really want to know? Jesus comes into the city, throws down the gauntlet, effectively, you know, like calling all of their forms of worship robbery. And then he goes on to say, destroy this temple. I'll rebuild it in three days. He does He does all this stuff. And, and so what does he sound like to you? So if you don't like, shout out what he sounds like to you. If, he's, if Jesus is... Doing all this stuff, correcting them, bringing this rebuke. What's a biblical role that people played? Prophet, thank you. He sounds like a prophet. Hold on, let me grab my notes here. Okay. And much of what prophets did, much of what they did was about condemning kings, condemning kingdoms and people for their wickedness, and most often, most often specifically of their oppression of the powerless and the poor. And so I want you to see that Nicodemus is a member of the Jewish ruling council. Jesus has just done a prophetic act of critiquing and condemning their whole like way of worship. And he's trying to figure out I think he's trying to figure out am I on the wrong side of history? Am I doing the wrong thing? Am I like, you know, should I be following Jesus? And he's coming at night. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've gone to listen to somebody or read somebody who disagrees with me completely in the secret of nobody else knowing because I'm wanting to know, am, am I actually on the side that Jesus is on? How many, of you have ever done, how many of you have ever felt like you might be Nicodemus? And so Nicodemus is coming to his night. He's concerned. I'm certain he's concerned. And, and so Jesus has come like a prophet, and this would have alarmed Nicodemus. But I want you to see what Jesus says in the last words of their interaction. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. In him, we can all say eternal life. Like we see that Jesus finishes his recorded conversation with him by saying that there is forgiveness for everyone who believes. This is a really big net of forgiveness. And Jesus references the snake being lifted up in the wilderness. Now, this is a really specific story because it's a time where God came to confront Israel and, they con- and he confronted Israel because they had started to sin. And when the sin came, there were snakes that came into their camp. And as the snakes came, God offered this way through Moses to lift this bronze serpent up, really weird story, so that they could be forgiven, so that they could have a way back in to life, and, and so this is this is like an offering. Like the statement here is, what I'm offering is going to be a route of forgiveness. This story is referenced as one where they sinned, but God makes a way forward, and so Jesus is telling Nicodemus. This is telling Nicodemus what kind of confrontation, what kind of confrontation Jesus is bringing. And so I'm going to keep, keep reading in the text, and this will make sense. John three sixteen through 17, the writer continues to deepen what Jesus says. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. So Jesus is telling the man. He's come and confronted the religious system. One of the religious elders is coming to him at night, afraid. Maybe what did people. And Jesus says to him. I have not come to condemn, but to give life. I have not come to condemn, but to give life. Like, if you want a verse to remember what Jesus is like, it's John 3, three sixteen through 17 For God so loved the world that He gave His only one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have ever let eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world, condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Look at this. All the law and all the prophets that have ever spoken a word like Jesus did in John 2, all of them only had the power to condemn and to confront, but did not have the power to give life. And Jesus says to one of the religious leaders who's coming to him afraid at night, what might this mean about my life? What might this mean about the life I'm living? He says to him, I'm offering a way that none should perish, but that all should have life. His goal, Jesus' goal, was not to discard people like Nicodemus, not to go around them because they were the religious leaders, but to actually offer them a path of life. Jesus does not want to condemn us. He does not want to condemn you. He wants to bring you life. Amen? So wherever you come from, I feel like we need a reminder that Jesus is not here to condemn but to, ha- but to offer life. So let's back up. Look at verse 3, and we'll land here to the end. In verse 3, when Jesus and Nicodemus are talking, he says, very truly, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Like, how many of you have heard the phrase born again? You've heard it. I want you to pretend as if you've never heard it. Just, just sit in Nicodemus' shoes and pretend like you've never heard the phrase. Um, How can someone be born again, born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Truly they cannot enter in a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. You cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So, when grace was born, sorry, I'm telling a story about you while you're here. (laughs) When grace was born, It's not totally about you, but we were in the hospital room, and I I was in a time where I was practicing hearing from God and seeing what He might be saying in a situation. And so I was asking God to speak to me and to show Himself, show Himself to me. And while we were sitting there in the room, I saw, like not physically, but I saw in my imagination Jesus standing at the end of the hospital bed. And Jesus is standing at the end of this hospital bed and he's in a doctor's coat. A robe that went all the way to the ground. And he looked just like the chosen Jesus. (laughs) Chosen wasn't out, but he looked just like just brown hair. Just tense, fiery but loving eyes. And he had this doctor's coat that went all the way to the ground. And I heard in my heart, I heard the Lord say, I am here to oversee this procedure, or this process. And I said, Okay, I'm good with that. <laughs> and when when Grace when Grace came out, um, she came out in a way that was a bit that was a bit awkward and it was difficult for her to come through the birth canal. And as, every time Andrew would push, like we would watch her pulse like and her heartbeat reduced to like very dangerously low levels. And I know that our doctor, our doctor is not like a, a, our doctor is not an emotional person. She's a very like down to business person. She's been a doctor for a long time, and I watched her eyes, and I was like, she's a bit afraid right now. And I was just aware that this was a serious situation. And and so they used this, like, suction device to help her come out, and and all of a sudden, this miracle is standing before me. We can pull this scripture down, actually. Um, This miracle is standing before me, or sitting before me, and I remember when they laid grace up on, on the hospital scale, I was afraid that I was going to like break this child. So I just like could and like I, just like, I like turned my head like at, like I and just started like looking and I was just like, oh my gosh, like filled with love. And I realize when I read this scripture that it is a miracle when a child is born. And I think that because We already have in our minds what it means to be born again. We miss the gravity of what Jesus is saying here. We miss the gravity. Often in Scripture, we become so familiar with Scripture that we cease to know it. We become so familiar with a verse like John 3.16 or a verse like be born again that we actually cease to know what this means. People actually do this with people as well. They become so familiar with them that they cease to know them. But when a child is born, it is first of all a miracle. It's an incredible miracle. But secondly, when a child leaves the womb and enters a new place, they have to learn how to breathe, they have to learn how to move. They have to learn how to eat. They can't, they've been fed off the, the umbilical cord. They have to learn how to crawl, how to walk. They have to learn everything completely new. And namely, they have to learn how to see. Because you know when a child comes out, they can't see. And being birth new means you have to learn everything again, and you have to learn how to see. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you've been born of the Spirit. You're like a child in a womb. We have been so familiar with this phrase that we have relegated it to what happens when we pray a magic prayer and Jesus comes into our heart. He is demonstrating something that is radical in human history. He is saying you are now not just going to be birthed of flesh, but you're going to be birthed of spirit. When we were in the garden, the, the Lord took from flesh. He took from dirt and He formed us and then He breathed spirit into us. And as we walked out of that garden, we forsook the tree of life and the abiding presence that remained to us. And so when Jesus is speaking to the Spirit. You've been born of flesh, but for you to see what I'm doing, you will have to see with the Spirit. You will have to be born of the Spirit. He is speaking something very important. We have to learn a new way to walk, to move, to eat, to breathe. And this text specifically is calling us to see in a new way. It's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5:17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Yet we allow ourselves this in our ways of flesh to relegate the miracle of being born again to something approximating conversion. This is not just about your conversion, this is about coming into a new existence. Galatians 3.3 says, Are you so foolish after beginning by the means of the Spirit that you're now trying to finish by means of the flesh? I feel like that one of the messages the church we need to hear over and over and over and over again is that God is made in us a new creation. That to be born again is not, it's not just a conversion, but it is a call to live a new life. It is a call to live a life of the Spirit. Like when you are given the Spirit, it allows and demands and empowers a life that testifies to Jesus. You have been brought out of the womb and into a new reality, and God wants you to see. But Jesus says, you cannot even see the kingdom without being born. And while Nicodemus is on this errand, and he's worried if his kingdom is the one that's being confronted, Jesus says, I have a new kingdom for you. I have a new way of life for you. I'm not here to condemn rulers. I'm not here just to condemn Caesar or to condemn the law of the prophets. I'm here to announce a new way. And if you will be born of the Spirit, you will be able to see my kingdom. And if there's one thing we need to see from the life of Jesus, it's that He came to preach and demonstrate and inaugurate the kingdom of God in His, in his life and His death and resurrection. And it is a new way where sinners are forgiven, where deaf ears are healed, where those who are filled with demons are set free. Like this is a new way where those who are seeking Jesus at night are find a willing ear. And Jesus says, you must be born of the Spirit. And what does it look like to be born of the Spirit and to see the way that Jesus sees? I'll tell you a few things. Those who are born of the Spirit don't look to the honored and powerful. They look to the humbled and broken to find grace. Those who are born of the Spirit do not look to condemn, but to forgive. There are condemnations in this room that people are carrying in their minds and their hearts, and Jesus says, forgive and bless and drop the condemnation. That is what it looks like to be a life of the Spirit. A person who sees by the Spirit looks at somebody like Legion who's full of demons. And when everyone else ran away to the city, away from him afraid, Jesus comes without fear and peace to minister to him. That's the eyes of the Spirit. The eyes of the Spirit buy a milk can before they have a farm. Like there's an invitation here to live a completely new way, not just to pray a magic dust prayer. So I wrote this down. I want to read to you this. I feel like there's a prophetic word to our community, and I think it's a general prophetic word. It's very simple, and we've been saying it. Like, But I think it's a now word. The word of the Lord right now to our community, and I have felt it here in our community since November, is to return to first love, to do what you did at first, to seek Him with all your heart. You have begun in the Spirit, and you've tried to finish in the flesh. Live a life of the Spirit. Live wholly devoted to Him, because He has not come to condemn, but He has come to save and to give life. God is giving us and will give us eyes to see if we let Him make us new. What do you want to see in your life? Do you want to see like somebody who sees like a milk can ahead of a farm and it's, the result is 5 million missionaries going into the world? Do you, what do you, how do you want to see? Because if you want to see with those eyes, you have to be born and to live as one by the Spirit. We have to lay down a life that we can live for his life. As simple as that. And so I just want to, I want us to close our eyes for a minute. And I want us to ask this question. How do we want to see? How do I want to see? Because Jesus is calling us to see a new way. He's calling us to see a new way. Just ask Him that question and see how He answers it. Like with faith, ask Him the question. How do you want me to see? Just while you're lingering over that question, I just want to pray. God, I pray that you would, would, in this season, you would birth people. That you would bring people back to a life in the Spirit. That you would bring people back to the greater things life. That we would not just be merely existing in the flesh, but that we would be living by your Spirit. And that we would testify to the Gospel, the fact that Jesus says, exactly as He says, and to Nicodemus, but for everyone eternal life, that, that I will not condemn but bring life. I pray that you would just bring us as those led by the Spirit to testify to Jesus.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode from ClearPath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.ClearPathDallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at ClearPathDallas. Thanks for listening.
0: just have a testimony um, real quick of just how god's goodness comes about in our life um, i've asked holly to come up here and holly and her whole family have been uh serving in the mission field for a long time for those of you who don't know andrew schmidt's mom andrew's been with us for for a little bit of time now and um but they were with us a couple months ago and God just had done some really incredible things during that time. And so I'm just gonna let her share.
1: Jesus, Jesus, may my words, um, honor you. And, um, the last couple of years, I had COVID in October of 2020, and, and, and from that moment, my body just like acted awful. It was really bad. And um, in September of 2022, um, I had blood work done. And um, for, the la- for the couple of years prior, my blood work um, had showed a lot of inflammation, and I'd been going to a cardiologist, a pulmonologist, um, a rheumatologist. An endocrinologist, every type ofologist, <laughs> and um, and everyone was just treating different things, and and so my blood work was pretty consistent with different inflammation markers and and such. It was it was it was not great, but they were treating me with a lot of pills. And every time there was prayer, I would go up for prayer. And um, in September, my blood work was pretty normal, considering. I mean, it was normal like how it had been. Like all the numbers were still off, but my kidneys were fine. My kidneys there was never a problem with my kidneys ever. And, um, and then in December for my three month checkup, I went in and my kidneys had tanked. They were bad. And, um, so bad that my doctor said, um, this is not possible. There's no way kidneys fell like this. And, um, and so she sent me and she redid all the blood work because she was absolutely sure that they had gotten the blood mixed up in the um, lab. But the second set of blood work confirmed that my kidneys were failing and it was so rapid that it was really serious. And so they did a scan and the scan documented that I was in, like, headed for kidney failure. <clears throat> and um, y'all don't know me, I'm just going to tell you. For 30 years, we've followed Jesus radically, radical obedience. It's been our life, and, and I just say that in humility. And I've seen miracles. Y'all don't know the story of Andrew's birth, but Andrew was born dead. You see him; he's alive. God resurrected him from the dead. But I also have another son who has cerebral palsy and type 1 diabetes, and I prayed for him, and he's not ever been healed. So my my view on healing is God, your will, not mine. I'll walk through whatever you want me to walk through. But immediately upon the news of my kidneys and then sending me to a specialist, Tom and I began to talk about end-of-life preparations, what it would look like if I needed a kidney transplant, how that would affect the ministry that the Lord's entrusted to us. So it was serious. And so they sent me to one doctor, and I just, I mean, like, my spirit. I just wasn't. I wasn't gelling, and he wanted to do this wait and see approach. I went to the rheumatologist um, in December, and I took all the blood work, and I said we're just kind of waiting and seeing. And, and the rheumatologist said, um, "We're not waiting and seeing. If if there's no point in me treating arthritis and inflammation in your body if you don't have kidneys." He called the he called the doctor right there while I was in the room with him, and and she saw me within the next couple days, and. And she walked in and she said to us, do I know y'all? We went through all the typical church, coffee shop, work. No, we didn't know her. And my husband said, um, well, you must know us by the spirit then. So she was a, a, a Egyptian Coptic Christian, rich, deep faith. And she began to pray with us. We prayed together, shared testimonies of God's faithfulness. She ran all my blood work again, and all of my blood work, except for my thyroid, because I had that before, (laughs) but all of the blood work from my pulmonology to my cardiology to my kidneys, all of my blood work was better than it had ever been prior to me having COVID. My doctor, a believer, said, you know, Holly, this is God. There's no question. There was no reason your kidneys tanked, and there was no reason they were restored other than God. But because I'm a doctor, I'm going to just follow you <laughs> for a while. And so last Thursday, I last week I did all my blood work again, and last Friday I went in, and she had a new doctor in the office with her, and all my blood work was perfectly fine. And she even testified to her new doctor, who she told was a believer, that... Um, God had healed my kidneys. So, what my encouragement to each of you and myself is, whether God heals or he doesn't heal, whether we abound or we abase, whether there's fruit on the tree or cattle in the barn, I will praise my God. I will praise my God. One last thing that's important to note. They prayed for me over here. I was not I was just not even praying. I was just like, okay, Lord, my life is yours. But over here, Andrew and Max, whom I've known for years, Amber and Tim, they were like, we're not believing the negative report of the doctors. The blood of Christ speaks a better word. And then a few people from my church began to pray. The blood of Christ speaks a better word. As people prayed for me, I didn't feel anything. I did not feel anything. My emotions, my physical body didn't feel it. But God did it anyway. But God did it anyway. And so today, after the service... I would be honored to pray for anyone that needs healing in any part of their body, mind, soul, spirit, body, because I believe what God's done in me. He's done it for his glory and his testimony for me not to keep, but for me to freely give away.
0: And so I want to freely
1: give to you the overflow of healing and of life that he's given to me freely because I didn't deserve it and I didn't even have the faith to muster it up. I just received from him
0: When I'm here in your light I can't help but to bow down to give you praise to